Welcome to Priming, where we find simple techniques to address modern problems for our primitive bodies. My name is Andrew Pafford, and I'm a health and wellness professional with over a decade of experience helping Olympic-level athletes, desk jockeys, and seniors achieving their goals and improving their quality of life. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about cholesterol. Cholesterol has a bit of a stigma around it since it is closely tied to heart disease. Given that heart disease is the leading killer of people in the U.S., and one in five adults will die from heart disease, it seems fair to say that it is too important of a topic to pass up and not talk about. The good news is, that number has been declining over the years, so a fair bit of headway has been made. However, is cholesterol truly the evil it has been painted to be? What lifestyle choices cause our cholesterol to truly become elevated? Are there ramifications from using drugs like statins for the sake of keeping one's cholesterol down? And does treating cholesterol levels with medication even reduce your chances of getting heart disease? Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to reiterate, I am not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV or the internet. So please do not change any medication you might be on without consulting your doctor first. We are discussing lifestyle factors that are certainly within your purview to change but we cannot take into account your allergies, special considerations, etc. So please consult with the appropriate professional prior if you have any doubts. Now, let's get down to brass tacks and investigate. First, what is cholesterol? Cholesterol is a naturally occurring fatty, waxy compound in our bodies that serves many functions. It is the critical backbone for hormone production. Certain cells utilize it for cell construction. Our brains use it to communicate with our body. Our nerves use it to transmit signals quickly. Basically, without it, we'd very likely be dead. But like most things that we need to survive, too much of anything can kill us. Too much water can kill us. Too much oxygen can be toxic. As Paracelsus is credited with saying, the dose makes the poison. As with cholesterol, too much could be a problem. Cholesterol is categorized into a couple different groups based on its size. High-density lipoproteins, HDLs, intermediate-density, IDL, low-density, LDL, and very low-density, VLDL, and your more free-form version, or triglycerides. Denser the particles, the smaller it is. So high-density lipoproteins are actually the smallest, and VLDLs are the largest. These categories are established as when blood is sampled, the size indicates how the cholesterol is currently being utilized by the body. HDLs, for example, serve the function of removing cholesterol from the blood and transport it to the liver for processing and removal. LDLs transport cholesterol from the liver to cells where it needs to be utilized for cell functioning. So on paper, these seem like totally fine and normal operating procedures with a checks and balances system in place, one to remove and one to add. One system to utilize cholesterol for functioning, another to remove it if there is excess. This is part of the reason why, why HDLs are considered good and LDLs are considered bad. If high cholesterol equals heart disease, then having higher HDLs, which remove cholesterol, would stand to reason that any excess cholesterol that could be causing damage would be eliminated, whereas having higher LDLs would be adding cholesterol to the body or being utilized, potentially being laid down in arteries, 
causing atherosclerosis and heart disease. After enough people started succumbing to heart disease and autopsies revealed plaque buildup in the arteries, atherosclerosis, that led to heart failures, they found that these plaques to have fair amounts of cholesterol as their makeup. Thus, if too much cholesterol is leading to plaque generation, anything that removes cholesterol from the body and blood, HDLs, must be good, and anything that allows for cholesterol deposition in the body, LDLs, must be bad. As always, however, reductive reasoning seldom takes into account the bigger picture. Take, for example, this compelling piece of literature called Is Atherosclerosis Caused by High Cholesterol? by Yu Ravenskov. In it, a number of articles are cited and discussed, revealing that there is seldom a direct causality shown between LDL levels and atherosclerosis. In autopsies performed on individuals who had presented with aortic atherosclerosis, their LDL or total cholesterol levels had weak or inconsistent correlations. The degree of coronary atherosclerosis, as seen on angiography, which is typically used to screen or see the amount of cholesterol buildup on, or plaque buildup on someone, also had weak correlation with cholesterol levels and no correlation after excluding patients who were already on statin drugs. More later on why these may or may not be helping. What's more is the exposure response section of the literature said in 16 trials that sought an angiographic response, meaning that they could visually see the plaque changing in the body, to an exposure of LDL interventions, including drugs, exercise, etc. Out of the 16 trials, only two found a correlation of exposure response, of which several explanations could be offered to explain why. The biggest mental shift that I'm looking to instill is cholesterol may not be the direct cause of atherosclerosis. However, it could be a wonderful indicator of being at risk for atherosclerosis. For example, having a bacterial infection can typically lead to a fever. The bacteria is what can kill you, and the fever is how we can tell you are sick. Saying you're going to treat the fever by simply bringing the temperature down is not going to help stop the bacteria. It is a sign, a symptom. The fever is not causing the bacteria. In this case, there's a lot of evidence to question whether the cholesterol levels are truly the cause of heart disease and could, in fact, simply be an indicator or a symptom. Another argument. If HDLs are removing cholesterol from the body, and that's a good thing. However, why is there so much cholesterol in the body that needs removal warranting these high levels of HDL. That would seem like an indicator that if someone has consistently high levels of HDL, and there seems to be a consistent environment where cholesterol is too high, that warrants those HDLs to always be needing to eliminate it. In that sense, that doesn't seem good, that the cholesterol is always needing to be purged and the scale has been tipped too far to one side for too long. Now, I want to double back and address a loose thread that we left behind that we need to discuss, and that is cholesterol-controlling drugs, or statins. Statins are often prescribed to lower cholesterol levels. However, the data shows that they also have pleiotropic properties, or rather, it actually has multiple effects on the body. Statins have been observed to exhibit, and I quote the article cited in the show notes, 
improvement of endothelial function, stability of atherosclerotic plaques, decrease of oxidative stress and inflammation, and inhibition of thrombogenic response. This means that there are a number of factors that make statins uniquely equipped to handle atherosclerosis and not simply because it could potentially lower cholesterol levels. It could also be lowering the levels because it addresses all of those other factors at the same time, improving the environment, thus needing or thus allowing the lowering of total cholesterol. However, magic pills don't exist and statins are no exception. For starters, they have their own fun little side effects like reports of giving people diabetes or rhabdo. Rhabdomyolysis is when your muscles basically fall apart. Then, of course, there's always the cost of taking medication. But what I want to double back and shine light on is the fact that these pleiotropic properties included decreasing inflammation and oxidative stress. And therein lies some potential for us to capitalize on in terms of at-home strategies that we can employ. Remember, medication given for lifestyle factors doesn't change the lifestyle that could be causing the problem in the first place. As long as people are quote-unquote taking the poison, they'll need to continue taking the antidote. So without correcting the underlying cause leading to elevated cholesterol, then statins would invariably become a permanent fixture. So what are these lifestyle factors that we can change? For starters, we often say mind over matter, but when it comes to trying to explain this application in the real world, it can come across as hokum. However, there is data that exists that can help bridge the gap and explain that. A piece called Psychological Stress, Immune Response, and Atherosclerosis discusses how stressors can lead to an immune response, which in turn leads to atherosclerosis. To try and briefly describe this process, a stress response to anything, public speaking, a mean boss, jerk drivers, etc., increases systemic levels of interleukins, and other inflammatory markers and pathways, showing a direct link between mental stress and systemic inflammatory response. In the article, they do a deep mechanistic dive into the various other pathways that stress triggers an immune-slash-inflammatory response. Additionally, they cite a couple of other studies done in monkeys that the more unstable their condition, aka more stressful, the greater their atherosclerosis. Further, they cite research showing that psycho psychosocial factors, including hostility, type A behavior personality, depression, and job stress, may also be correlated with atherosclerosis in humans. Ever hear stories about people keeling over at work and saying how the stress finally got them? They're not lying. Stress literally creates a physical, mechanistically observable chain reaction that ends with it manifesting itself as plaque along your artery walls. Needless to say, a statin drug does not remove those stresses from your life. Buying yourself time with medication might be a good thing, but as long as those stressors are still there, so too will be the danger. What then about diet and cholesterol? <clears throat> Many are told to reduce fat, which basically becomes cholesterol, in order to lower cholesterol levels. There seems to be a lot of hair splitting over saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated fats as to whether certain ones are better or worse for heart disease. And while saturated and trans fats are shown to definitely be bad news, it seems even the articles that try to focus on the different types of fat, 
and the relationship to atherosclerosis can't help but tie it back to inflammation and oxidative slash antioxidant stress. But more and more literature is also starting to focus on the relationship with gut microbiota and atherosclerosis, not only with the relationship to hypertension, but also microbes process components in food, like carnitine and choline, creating a compound that is finally oxidized by the liver to create something called TMAO, or trimethylamine inoxide, whose levels are independently linked to cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, and other forms of mortality. These components in food are typically found in animal products, leading to the advice that people at risk for heart disease should reduce red meat consumption. This is not necessarily due to the red meat itself, but rather how our gut microbes, or certain species of microbes, process the food, and subsequently that the microbes' metabolites are then absorbed by our body and processed. Further muddy the waters, not all microbes appear to be complicit in the process. Another piece of data discusses how TMAO levels might be similar to cholesterol in that they are not the issue, but rather an indicator or symptom of some other underlying cause. These are the example of how seafood, typically touted for its beneficial and heart protective properties, often have higher TMAO levels than red meat, and yet are not villainized like red meat products. The author's explanation? Dysbiotic gut microbiota, or rather the wrong type of gut microbes taking roost in your gut, that love to process red meat and make bad metabolites for us to process. Additionally, data shows that certain microbiota can release neurotransmitters to our central nervous system that are in in charge of blood vessel muscle tone, which dictates our blood pressure coupled with the fact that certain strains are correlated with low-grade systemic inflammation, this can lead to blood vessel wall damage. Since blood clots are stickier, so to speak, the appearance of blood clots on the cell walls for repairing cell wall because of damage of hypertension makes it easier for plaques to form, leading to what are called atherosclerotic thrombocytic events, aka plaque forms on blood on blood clots that are on the inside of your blood vessel walls. The common thread tying all of this together is inflammation, or rather a case or multiple causes of chronic inflammation leading to damage of the blood vessels and allowing for plaque to form. This means dietary intervention, dietary interventions meaning to correct the gut microbiome population can have positive effects on blood pressure, and blood markers that have been associated with atherosclerosis. Eating fermented foods that are known to be probiotic to help correct gut microbe populations would likely have beneficial effects, and fibrous foods and foods known to be prebiotic to help maintain those healthy gut populations. Stress management techniques that we've discussed in previous episodes have shown to have positive effects on lowering blood pressure. This can help correct the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, or that is, the major driver in hormone regulation and secretion throughout the body. If stress being able to be made manifest is a problem, then stress management can in turn be the solution. That is to say, our lifestyle choices and environments are likely the very things leading to our ailments, which means that they are also the very means to correct them. 
expecting to take a pill in hopes that everything will be remedied might very likely be an exercise in futility. Now, we've covered a fair bit of info today. So as always, I like to recap and drive the finer points home and give you some actionable steps to walk away with. Number one, cholesterol is often demonized for being a cause of atherosclerosis, but many pieces of literature show that these correlations to be weak. Changes in, number two, changes in cholesterol levels might actually be an indicator rather than a cause of atherosclerosis. Three, statins might be working in other ways to control underlying causes of cholesterol and not necessarily the cholesterol levels themselves. Four, many signs are showing chronic systemic inflammation is a strong cause of atherosclerosis. Five, stress has shown to have physical mechanisms via the HPA axis, leading to inflammation and psychological stress that can accelerate atherosclerosis. Six, diet can contribute to atherosclerosis not by the means that we think, but because of poor gut microbiome that can contribute to hypertension and inflammation and from other inflammatory causing foods. Seven, Stress management techniques can reduce hypertension and help balance the HPA axis. Eight, eating fermented and prebiotic foods can improve gut microbe diversity and subsequently be a step in improving conditions that would otherwise lead to atherosclerosis. And so meditation and healthy healing may sound a bit reductive in terms of being able to solve all of your woes, but here is clear data that is beginning to emerge to prove just that. Our bodies are fascinating complex machines and can sometimes fail in fascinatingly complex ways. Often we find that we are our own enemies and ultimately that is the root of our own problems and it's up to us to correct it. We thank you for taking the time to listen to Primate. Your interest in health and wellness means the world to us, so we would greatly appreciate it if you would send us your questions, comments, concerns, and feedback to info at primity.org. You can also leave us reviews on YouTube and on your podcast platform of choice. And as always, strength comes in many forms, from within and without. So be strong to be useful. Until next time, stay strong.